Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning. If you do not have a Bible, I would really like you to raise your hand. There are a few things that I'd like us to look at in God's Word this morning before... Well, hand out the new iPads and the new iPhones we're giving everybody for the... Oh, we're not giving them iPads and iPads? Oh, oh, well, they just give them the regular Bible, so... Oh, everybody be taking it then, right? Everybody be glad to have one of those. Well, do me a favor and pray with me this morning before we open God's Word. Father... We just ask you to help us quiet our minds and our hearts before you this morning. Father, I just ask you to... Just ask you this morning, Lord, to give strength to those of us who need it this morning. Father, we need a revelation from you this morning. We loose into this place a revelation of you, of your, of your mind, of your heart, and of your passion this morning, Lord. Father, we just come this morning, and as we sang the words, I'm hungry for you, we ask you that it would be true in us, Lord. We ask you... That this, during this Lenten season, this corridor that has been traveled and walked through for centuries by men and women just like us, through darkness, through light, through all seasons, Lord, we just thank you. It's a road that is well paved. And we ask you this morning, Father, for the continued sense we have these last weeks, last few weeks, that you're with us and that you long, that you're drawing us near you and drawing us to yourself and calling us closer and inviting us to come out into the deeper waters, to leave the shallow shore and to come and to know you better. And so, Father, I just count on that anointing this morning for the speaker and for the hearers. Father, we ask this morning, bypass the speaker and bypass my limited understanding. And, Father, I do ask this morning that you would come, Lord Jesus, that you would walk in this room today, that you would walk among us today, and that you would touch hearts, that you would touch bodies that you would speak a word and that your presence and the aroma and fragrance of your presence would be in this place this morning, Lord. We all desperately need you this morning, Lord. Those of us are just a little, some of us are a little more aware of it. So, Father, we thank you now and give you this time. And we do it with great faith in your faithfulness. We say it in Jesus' name, amen. Well... I don't want to be dramatic, but probably part of what I'm going to speak about this morning is something that I probably had on my heart for you for at least five years. 
And that's the truth. I have asked the Lord for all these years to help me to bring a subject that's difficult to talk about and difficult to express, to bring it into terms and words, uh, taking away, you know, sometimes certain words, they're just, you know, red flags, or we're so used to hearing them, we don't hear them anymore. You know, it's, I've told you, it's like me driving past the golf course around the corner from us, I don't see it anymore, because, I, because it's such a part of my everyday life. And that's the way it is with words. And that's why it's always a little dangerous the more you know the Bible. Because the more you know the Bible, I mean, I found myself doing it, I'll go to read a passage and say, well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know how that's going to turn out, yeah, yeah. And you have to say, well, stop, well, you know, the, what, the, the word without the spirit is just the words. It, we need the spirit to interpret the words. And that's why people, Joe and I used to have an old friend who used to say to us, um, you know, he, he, he was a religious man. He, he um, assented to Christ. I don't know how real Christ was in his everyday life, but he used to say to us all the time, oh, the Bible, I, you know, I've read it ten times. I've read it, I've read it a number of times. And it just, and, and if you looked at his life, you would say, I love the man and I wasn't being judgmental, but it didn't line up. And all you can say is, if you, you read with your intellect, without revelation from the Holy Spirit, wouldn't it be an awful kind of God that would just make uh, understanding, uh, the, the brighter you are, the more you could know God? I mean, what, what kind of a God would that be? Because there are brilliant, brilliant people that have known Jesus, as we've heard about, Pastor Joe, uh, Pastor Joe, sorry, Pastor James has shared with us a number of them. And uh, some of these some amazing geniuses God has used. But God has used the simplest people. There are people that didn't need... There was a man I remember hearing about that didn't even... Couldn't read. And he'd place his hand on the Bible. And that's all he would do. And just pray. And God used him in marvelous, marvelous ways. I mean, our God is a big God. He's not a small God. I, I always remember a story as well about um, this... Um, church service, and I, I, you probably don't know the story, so I can mess it up as much as I want. You won't know the difference, but um, there was a certain part of the service where they would repeat the 23rd Psalm, and the minister would get up, and he was very articulate and, and well-educated, articulate man. He'd get up, and he would just, it would be prose as he just loosed the 23rd Psalm, and... And one day he couldn't, he couldn't, he wasn't able to do it. And on the last minute, he, something happened. And so they didn't know what to do. And, and so they asked, they asked one of the old elders, um, to come up and would he, they thought, well, you know, somebody's got to read it. So let's let him do it. So this weathered old man who walked with Jesus for something like 60 years, got up and spoke that song and there wasn't a dry eye in the room because this was a man who knew the shepherd had walked with the shepherd through valleys sat at his table as the Lord in front of his enemies this was a man who knew God and so that's one of the things where you know we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning too I was we were so encouraged 
at the turnout on Ash Wednesday. And not only the turnout, but the reception that we found in you. And I think that, I mean, having spoken to a few of you, I, I, I can say that I'm not alone in feeling like there seems to be a special grace for us at this moment. And that we're feeling the sense of Jesus drawing us in a fresh way. How many of you would raise your hand and say, "Don't bra- you're not browning the pastor up now. Just, just raise your hand if you real." Yeah, yeah. I do. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, one of which I'm going to mention today, I think. Um, so there's a few things that I want to say this morning, and I, as I say, I really need the Lord this morning. I'm a little low on energy. Um, maybe that means I just don't have to depend, dig in deeper this morning, and, and I need his energy this morning. But uh, um, it's really, I'm so desirous that he would go way beyond my life level this morning and help us to understand a few things. So would you open your Bible, please? If you don't have one, please look along or look with someone next to you. Um, I'm going to use some PowerPoints because my son is making me... Oh, did I I think that or did I say that? I actually said that? Oh. My son's saying, Mom, get used to it. So poor Joanne and Rachel have to help me because... um, I need help in that area. And especially working with me is always a challenge when you're working with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about until a couple of hours before the meeting. Isn't that exciting, right? Let's give my office a hand. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yep. Okay. Um, I want you to look at Bible because I want you to make sure I'm not lying this morning. And I want you to see it in the Word. And I really hope that you have a Bible that is yours. I hope you have a Bible that you mark up and you underline. You know, if ever there was, God forbid, a fire in our house, and I think of one of the one of three things I could get out, I'd make Joe was I'd make sure Joe was there, was out. I think. I would make sure Joe was out. And the Lechie's there, I'm sure they would take care of themselves. Um, but my Bible would be there because I can't replace this Bible. It's got my tears on the pages. It's got my dates of things God spoke to me. And I hope you have a Bible that's as precious to you uh, as this is to me. So we're going to look in Genesis 1. And I need to stop talking and get down to business because it's really important. Okay, so well, you, you've heard this a thousand times. And I'm praying this morning we're going to hear it a little bit differently. Well, in Genesis 1, we all know, in the beginning. In the beginning. God. Right? In the beginning, God. There you go. I'm going home. We're done. In the beginning, God. And so we see that this earth was, was without form, and it was void, and there was nothing. And we see the whole story of creation. You've seen it and heard it many, many times. And we see that the Creator, it's quite clear that God says, let us do these things. This is the Trinity. This is God, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see him going from, you know, putting a big light in the sky during day, a smaller light at night, putting the stars in place. We see God go on to, uh, he goes on to make waters, gives them a a boundary, uh, sea creatures, every living creature in in the ocean. And we see that he goes on to make cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth. And, and I'm, in, um, I'm still in Genesis 1. 
And then we get to verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You just want to underline there, let them have dominion too, if you don't have it there. That was one of God's desire, that man would have dominion. He would rule over the earth. As God was ruling over heaven, the earth was given to man that man would rule over this over this place. Okay, so so we see that. And he goes on to say in 29, and he's given them every herb, and uh, 30, every beast of the earth. And we see that God saw that everything he made was very good. So now the evening and the morning was the sixth day. And... And now you see in chapter 2, there's a bit of a rehearsal. He's going to kind of repeat some things. And if you don't understand this, it gets kind of confusing if you don't understand the sequence of things. But he's kind of repeating some things. Um, but he goes on to say, so if you, if you read chapter 2, you will see that it's on the sixth day that God created man, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's verse 7. Now hop back with me a second, and come back, and this isn't going to be as confusing as you may think it is. Hop back with me to verse 2 of chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Hmm. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, creation was ended. Did you notice something was missing? Hmm. Okay. We're going to move on then. You didn't notice something was missing. Okay, well, he created, he created man. Seventh day is sanctified. We call it the Sabbath. Okay. Well, then, <clears throat> again, there's some repetition. But then, on the eighth day, and you check me out if you aren't, aren't following it right now. On the eighth day, because seventh he rested. Now, on the eighth day, God does something very interesting. He takes Adam, and he tells Adam, and this is verse... This is verse 10. And he tells Adam to name all of the creatures. Now remember, this is before the fall. So Adam is as brilliant as any, he's more brilliant than anybody you and I ever met. He's absolutely brilliant. And so he has Adam name all the animals. This is the eighth day. And as Adam is watching, the lion and the lioness, and the tiger and the tigress, and the leopard and the leopardess. The Lord says, Adam, well, before I go there, let me just say this. Do you think any of this was haphazard? Do you think God said, oh, oh, 
Uh, yeah, names of the animals. Right, right, that's right. I Remember, we're going to find out that everything that is on display right now in creation has been in the heart of God since before the foundation of the world. And so now God tells Adam to name everything, and for one brief moment, the Lord Jesus is standing with Adam, having more in common than you and I can really even believe, because he wants Adam to see that something is desperately missing. And because Adam was made in the image of God himself, there was a passion in Adam to love because he was made by the lover. And love is a relational term. You, you, you just don't love, you love something. And so he put in Adam a desire to give his love away, to find a beloved, to pour himself into something, someone. And so for those few minutes, he lets Adam feel the passion in his heart without the release of it. And then, now eight in the Bible means resurrection. The eighth always means is the new, the new, new week starts. Seventh day is the, the, the end of the week. Eighth day is the resurrect, it stands for resurrection. So now, the, that whole week has passed. Now there's a new creation. And her name is Eve. Eve was created. How? So after Adam looks at all of these animals and feels a passion, God looks at him and says, Yeah, I know Adam. May I paraphrase? It isn't good for man to be around, be alone. It's never been my it's never been my ideal for you. It's not my will for you. Puts him in a very deep sleep. That was the first time Adam had ever been put to sleep. He puts him in a sleep. And then he opens Adam's side. And he pulls a part of Adam out. And makes one like him. He makes another Adam almost like him. You want to look and you don't have to run there now, but you can look if you want to. Genesis 5, 1 says this. It says, and God called, it, this is uh, verse 1, 5. In the King James Version, it said that in the book of the genealogy of Adam, in the day God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, created them male and female, blessed them and called them Adam. You see, they were called Adam. They were both called Adam. And it wasn't... it. The Lord is the one, I'm sorry, forgive me. Adam is the one who named her Eve. He named her Eve, the mother of all living. Well, why, why, is, why is this so important? Well, <clears throat> you've heard me say probably many, many times that the Bible is, starts with this man and woman in the garden, and the revelation ends with a man and woman in the garden. We see, we see the, we see marriage and the union, the union of marriage all through the Bible. You know, when you say today, when we say marriage is being attacked, 
in, in, in the biblical way that we, sit, that we see it, we have no idea just how enormous the issue is in a spiritual way. Because marriage is God's idea. And marriage is extremely, incredibly important to God for some of the reasons we're going to see, we're going to see. What did I do with that sheet that has all my videos on there? Would you get that for me, honey? Or there's a sheet over there for me. <clears throat> Joanne gave it to me. She made sure I got it. And okay, all right. And I'm also going to be asking Rachel to give me them as I need them and give me the give you the number because I'm not going to be able to. to I'm not doing the quicker. Would you put up uh, number four, please, Ray? So here we are. We see that marriages, you know, there's pictures all through the Old Testament. And listen, if you're a single person in here and you're saying like, you know what? Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, you're going to tell me now how great marriage is and I'm not there. Hold on. Hold on. This is not excluding single people at all in any way, even though the institution of marriage is something that is extremely sacred to God. So we see all through the Old Testament many, many glimpses of, by revelation of, of a marriage and uh, a bride and a groom. We, we see the couples in the Old Testament. We see, um, we go to the little book in the center, almost in the beginning, middle of the Bible. It's called Song of Solomon. And a lot of churches are afraid to preach on it. And I, I'm really getting ready to do it. And it's about the king and the, and the maiden. And there's some very kind of erotic language in there. And for centuries, uh, some people just didn't know what to do with the Song of Solomon. But so we, we see the Song of Solomon. We get to the New Testament. We see John the Baptist say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just the bridegroom. I'm just the, the friend of the bridegroom. But the groom is coming. He's right behind me. You see, the very first miracle that Jesus does is where? It's at a wedding. It's at a wedding. We see this thread all through the whole Bible. And why is that? Well, let me just start by saying, you see, if we thought, if we took the Bible, we just read the Bible and we say, okay, you know, this is creation. This is what he did. What God, I believe, wants to really give us, a, a, really give us revelation about Let's read this. For this reason, this is Ephesians 5, talking about marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Excuse me, Paul? One minute he's talking about earthly marriage, and the next minute he's saying, but really, this is a mystery, because this is really about Christ and the church. Earthly marriage is to be a picture of something else. Brothers and sisters, there is a woman who is behind the curtain who is the most beautiful woman that can ever be imagined. She is the most beautiful woman. She is the most desired woman by the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life for this woman. She is the new Eve. She is the bride. She is his bride. And if you remember, when he, I just got finished saying, he put 
Adam to sleep, he didn't bring Eve out until everything was done. Till it was all fit. He didn't bring, actually, he didn't even bring Adam out until he had done all of creation. Look with me a second. How would it, how would it differ if if we could bring God out and we could really get a handle on the fact that we're made in his image and God has affection. God, you have affection because he has affection. And he has a heart. He is a lover. That's what he is in the truest sense. How about if we looked at creation like this? Okay. Okay, now I'm going to be very, very... I, I hope I... I'm not going to try to be uh, disrespectful, but hang in there with me, okay? I'm going to be a little dramatic. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I want... Um, oh, let's see. What do I want? What do I want? What do I, want? I, I want a big... I want a big... Uh, I want a big light in the sky during the day. And I want them, I want it to be so warm that, that, that they could feel, they could feel it on their body when they're, they can feel it when a, in a cool day, they could feel that warmth of, of the sun. I want, I want a small one at night, and I want, I want little, I want these little stars, I want them in the sky at night. I want them never ever to know, ever to think they're alone. I want them to, I want them, and, and I want them to have, let's see, I want them to have every delicious, every delicious thing, every herb, every fruit, every vegetable. I want their taste. We have no idea the, the banquet that God had in mind. I want everything perfect for them. I want, I want them to be able to feel the breeze when the breeze goes by. I want them to feel, I want them to feel it. I want them to, I, he created animals and that we might enjoy them. He said, oh, fish, I want all kinds of colors. I want blue ones and, and yellow ones and bright colors and, and, and he didn't bring the man and woman on the scene until, until it was all beautiful for them. Do you think he just went, okay, well, we'll put a light in the sky and not during the day. It'll be, who's, well, we need to get excited about creation. Can you imagine? This is God's, this is God's dream. By the time we leave here this morning, I hope we get a glimpse of this is God's dream. This has been in his heart. In fact, I'm going to be beyond my notes and say, the Bible said that there's been a mystery that's been hidden in the, in the, for the ages. And that Abraham didn't know it, and Moses didn't know it, and the, old, and the angels didn't even know it. And what they didn't know is that God was after a companion he, that, that the Lord Jesus was going, to, was going to get for himself, a companion that he could pour his love in. And just as the Father poured his love in Jesus, Jesus felt in some way that he wanted a receptacle for his love. You can follow me. If you want to talk theology, I'll talk with you. But I'm making this as simple as I can, this one. He can't... I want to tell you that we rejoice every week about the fact that our sins are forgiven. And thank God they are. But brothers and sisters, that's just the tiniest little... That's just the beginning. Our sins were forgiven so he could get us. Our sins were forgiven so he could get his bride. Because he lost her in the garden. She was deceived. And if I may act out God, it's almost as if God came into the garden and said, what have you done? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat of? 
he could have stopped everything right there. He could have finished it off and said, done. But he didn't because he was in love. He was love sick with these. Would you give me the, the Proverbs scripture? Let me see that Proverbs scripture. He was in love with these people. Not only was he in love with them, he had waited for, he had waited 11. He had waited for them. He had been waiting for this day. He had been waiting for this man and woman. This isn't just a haphazard thing. This was in the heart of God, the mystery that was in God's heart. Before time, he was looking for a bride. And so we limit what God did by saying he, he forgave our sins. Well, yes, of course. But before the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he was getting something. He was getting his passion. And I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ has a passion for people. He has a passion for this bride. And this bride are the people who respond to him with their passion. In the way that he's passionate about them, they become passionate about him. Now, hang on. Now, jump over with me to the New Testament. Well, let me go here first. Proverbs. And what this is, this is starts out about I wisdom. And it's clearly about the Lord Jesus. Go back and read it. It's clearly about the Lord Jesus. But he's going on and on and on. And then he goes on toward the end of Proverbs 8. And he says, and when he drew a, on the face of the deep, I was there. That's, that's Jesus. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he mocked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight. He was the Father's delight. But listen with me. Rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. But read the last verse. My delight was with the sons of men. And something rises up in the Lord Jesus after that fall that we see in Genesis and I said he could have given up and said, that's it. But you know what Jesus said? I've got to get her back. I've got to get her, get her back. And I'm, I'll do anything to get her. Meaning the collective bride. Listen, women are called the sons of God. It's, it's gender neutral. And men are called the bride of Christ. So don't get squeamish on me, men. Okay, I'm not. This is a biblical principle that he's going to marry a corporate bride. And Peter's going to be in there, rough and tough Peter, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's gender neutral. But this is, a, as I said, this is the people, the bride, the one he gave his life for. He came to forgive our sins, but he had a goal in mind. And that goal was to get a people. And so hop with me to the New Testament, and what do we see? We see that Jesus goes to the cross. And in that cross, what did he do? At the very last thing before he is, at the very end of his, um, his ordeal, the soldier puts a knife in his side and blood and water come out. Ah, another, and you know, Jesus' name in the New Testament is the last Adam. Not the second Adam. The last Adam. Now, wait a minute. Didn't, wasn't there another Adam that was put to sleep? And wasn't something taken out of his side? Oh, I'm getting it better now. So now we're in the New Testament, 
And this Adam has his side pierced and blood and water come bursting out of his side. Ah, the blood that would cleanse her to make him, to, for him to get her back. And the water that would be the life that she would live by, his very own life. But listen, just like the first creation, they were not brought on the scene until everything was set for them. So this Eve, this, this bride could not come on the scene until everything was taken care of that he would never lose her again. So he took all her sins so that could never separate him from her again. He took the law so she could never be overburdened by guilt and condemnation. He, he defeated the enemy so the enemy couldn't kill her. He defeated the world so the world couldn't distract her. And he, and he, and he took the whole old creation with him. So nothing could, and then he took, then he hit the final blow. The final blow was he conquered death. So he never could lose her again. Listen, there are people that die through the Bible and come back to life again. But this wasn't a resuscitation. Because Lazarus was raised from the dead. But he just had his death postponed because he had to die again. Do you understand the Lord Jesus did not just have a postponement. He conquered death. Death no longer could rule and reign over this race any longer. It could not steal his bride again. This is the secret and this is the truth that the devil does not want the church to have. Because I am, I am so, I am so committed to it and so um, sure of it that when you and I recognize the passion that Jesus Christ has for us as human beings and for those who love him. Do you know out of all the millions of people in this world that don't give a flip about Jesus Christ this morning? And let's not even talk about those that hate him and the nation's rage, Psalm 2 said. You're sitting in here listening. Do you know how precious you are to the Lord Jesus Christ? That you call him your own? I want to tell you that when we understand the passion that Jesus has for us, like, the, like the, the man who went into the field and found a treasure and sold all he had. I said on Wednesday, it, this isn't heroic. This isn't heroic that he went and sold everything he had. It just makes common sense. If you find a treasure that's worth everything and so much more than anything that you possess, is it heroic that you sold everything you had to get it? The problem is, You've got to just, you've got to see that it's treasure. Because the world has changed the price tags on things. The world has told us what is important and what is precious. And God says, I told you last week the fear of God is, he, be afraid he's always, he's always right. When he tells us what is valuable and what will last, he's right. And, and even if we don't get it at first, Blessed is the man or woman who, who believes it and receives it into their lives. Young people, especially when you're young, being these things don't make sense. The older you get, you say, oh, that's what he meant about that. Oh, yeah, I've seen that happen. 
Blessed is the man or woman who has a fear of God that, that just, even if I don't get it, I'm going to believe he's right. That's what you want to say to your kids. Listen, you don't get it yet. I understand. You know, you're five and you think you could run into the street, but you can't run into the street. He, he had to get her back. He was willing to do anything to get her back. Now, that is the Lord. That is a tiny, tiny iota of his heart and his heart for you today. And any other thing that you're hearing in your head, I don't care where you've been and I don't care what you've done. Jesus has already forgiven you for your sins. He is passionate about you. Yes, repent, come to him. There's something going on in your life that you know is displeading. Come to him. He, he, he says, come near me. Have confidence in me, he says in his word. Draw near to me, because I've already drawn near to you. And yet, religion and our own dark voices have us run from the God who is running toward us and wants us to run toward him. So the Bible is really Bishop Fulton Sheen. Love that man. A brilliant man. Just a very deep man of God. And he said that the, the Bible at its root was a divine romance. And it is. That's exactly what it is. And we make it just a book to be studied and just to, you know, to intellectually grasp it. Now unto a hungry people. Because the one who wrote it wants to draw, wants you to draw near. Now, we said on Wednesday, we talked about having that in mind. We talked about follow. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, follow me. And we said on Wednesday, you know, following is a, follow means, you know, you're not in charge, you know. You know. Maybe you think I'm picking on Pastor Joe a little bit these last few weeks, but he's a big guy. He can handle it. He's not the best dancer you've ever danced with. Honey, it's true. I, I just, I, you, you've gotten better, but you're not. And I'm, oh, I was always in the, you know, I always wanted to lead because he doesn't lead the way I want him to lead. You know what I'm saying? Women, is there any takers in here? Oh, you're not saying it because he's sitting next to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Follow me means follow. It means you're not in charge. And one of the things we said on Wednesday was, you can stop following and not even know you stopped following. You don't even realize that somewhere along the line, you stopped following a long time ago. You're using your own mind. You're using your own thought. You, you, what you used to know about him, what you, you know, you just, you just stopped actually following him. So we talked about that on Wednesday. But I want to underline right now, follow me. And I want to underline the me. Who is it that we're following? Started by telling you how passionate Jesus is about us. You know, there's two, there's two, there's a women in the New Testament. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they're women. And so they weren't considered very important. So a lot of the stories get very hazy, especially about the Marys and the anointing of oil on Jesus. Anybody ever try, anybody know what I'm talking about? 
it gets a little hazy. Like, is this Mary of Bethany? And then people are saying, no, 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 this is the sinful woman. And one's in, one is washing his feet with the oil and one is pouring it over his head for his burial. I, but I think that we can let go of that and understand one thing. We can understand that these women are depicting the bride. These are women that are showing an absolute passion. In other words, the passion of the Lord is now he has, she was his passion, the bride. Now he has become her passion. And now these are women who are, who are, who are pictures for us of the bride who has been captured by him now and is, and is as totally taken by him as he is by her. You have to understand your Lord is a lovesick Lord. Yes, he is. And so now these women, something happened to these women in their lives. Mary of Bethany, you know, she sat at his feet. She listened to his words, you remember. And then we have that other Mary that we believe that she goes into Simon, the um, Pharisee's house, and all these pompous men with their robes and phylacteries on their arms, perhaps, I don't know, just sitting there very pompously. And this woman who was a sinful woman, the Bible says, a woman who nobody wanted, was cast out. Somehow she knows that he's there. Obviously, she had seen him and touched him somewhere before. And he touched her so deeply. Something happened to that woman, and she said, Nothing will ever stop me from getting to that man, Jesus. I have got to get to him. And when she goes to meet him, she's thinking the whole time she's there, How can I let him know what he's done for me? I mean, can you imagine? Let's just, let's just, for a minute, just let's take our license to just think about what she's thinking. People would walk on the other side of the street when they saw her. She had no friends. She was despised. And yet, the man Jesus walked up. Somehow, he moved toward her. And love broke into this woman's heart. And somehow, in her mind, she thought, what must, what can I do? What can I do? To show him what his love has meant to me. Nobody's ever touched me like you, Jesus. How can I let you go? I can't be without you now that I found you. And both those women take the dearest, most treasured thing that they own, which was a bar, some say a box, some say a jar of spikenard. It would be, it would be something that would be, spikenard would be come from India and it would be extremely expensive and what they would do is just pour it into their jar or their box and they would just cover it and keep it it would be like their retirement package it all that they had this was the most valuable thing they had and can you imagine maybe she got it from doing the things she did in the street with men that gave her the money to get this oil i don't know but here were these women who took the most valuable thing they had and brought it to the and this woman didn't even care that the religious men were stand, sitting there looking at her. Have you ever been in a room where people looked at you and you knew were disapproving of you? Pretty uncomfortable, right? This woman didn't even care. She was so in love. She was so captured by them, 
by this man. She, nothing else mattered to her. And she got to Jesus. And she took her little box and he took her little jar. And Mary of Bethany did the same thing. And she took her jar. And I want to just ask us a few questions. You know, she could have. First of all, when, she, when they got to Jesus, you know what they didn't say? Jesus, will you anoint me? Jesus, will you anoint me? Anoint me, Jesus. That's what I probably would have done. She anointed him. She anointed him. You know, they could have taken a little jar and a little box, either of them. They could, she could have just placed it on Jesus by Jesus' feet and said, You know, Jesus, this is very costly. This is really, really costly. And I just, you know, I have this, but I just want you to know how costly this is. But she, they didn't do that. Unless it was broken... It could not be possibly enjoyed. It had to be broken to be of use. And once it was broken, it was broken forever. You couldn't go back and scoop up a few little drops. This was a commitment that was total and complete on their parts. You will have my heart forever. And you will be the most important thing in my life forever. Now, the most amazing thing, brothers and sisters, is this. The Bible says that a fragrance is released. And that fragrance, go there with me, that fragrance is released in the room and everybody could just, just take in that, that fragrance and, and, and smell it. You know, they said that olfactory, I got it from my English teacher over here that told me that that's the word, olfactory, part of your limbic system where you smell things is the greatest sense of that gives you memory. That's why you can smell lavender one minute and be in grandma's guest room. So this fragrance fills the room, fills the house, fills the house. This is what she's saying. Oh, Jesus, you are the fragrant one. You are the one who is about... Mary of Bethany is saying, you're about to go to the cross and be broken. And when you're broken, your fragrance will fill the world. And I want to tell you, it's filling the world even now in 2017. His fragrance fills this world. We had maybe a little touch of it on Wednesday. I want to tell you, I think it's starting to flow. I think there's a little, there's a little whiff of the fragrance of Jesus in the air even now. I do. Do you? And when you, when you smell that fragrance of Jesus, like his name is an ointment poured forth and how the maidens love him just to hear his name. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, I don't have any of this, Linda. I don't even know what you're talking about. This, I don't have any of those kind of feelings for him. Or That's okay. Um, maybe, maybe I'm just breaking the outside with you. But John 12 says this. That's number three. John 12 says this. The Greeks came to Jesus on Palm Sunday. And 
They said, sorry, they were telling the disciples, we want to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew told Philip, told Jesus. And this is what Jesus said. Now get it. All the crowds are circling around you. They're all applauding you. It's Palm Sunday. They're waving branches. They're running after you. And they run after Jesus. Jesus. I don't know what they were saying. Were they called Master, Rabbi? Some maybe thought Messiah. And what does Jesus say? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bear fruit. Will you please understand with me that this is a principle that the cross is not only one event, the cross is a path. The cross is not only the path that Jesus trod, but is the path that you and I must travel. It's the, it's the road of the cross and resurrection in everyone's life. Let me have that quote too. This is a quote from a, um, a Christian psychologist out West, Ken Schmidt. And this was in his book. Uh, let, me, let me read it to you. He was talking about death and resurrection. And this is what he says. He said, it can be said that the process of death and resurrection is not exclusively Christian. Many non-Christians experience a sense of new life when they face their pain, uh, open, their, open their pain in their hearts. The secular therapist, a philosopher might say, I'm adopting... I'm adapting a reality about all of life to Christian theology by doing that. But in other words, he would say the death and resurrection we experience emotionally has nothing to do with the cross. They're just part of life. This secular perspective is logical, but leaves open the question, why is death and resurrection an integral part of life? Would you stop with me for a minute? We're going to spring. Winter has now, is moving out in spring and the flowers come. And now all of the vegetation and the flowers come forth the spring. Death in the winter, spring, life in the spring. Then we see, you know, trees. They die, they fall into the ground, they become fodder for, for more trees to grow. And vegetables and plants and vegetables and other things. Things have to die so that other things can live. Did you eat meat last night when you had dinner? Something died so that we can live. I want to tell you that there is a brokenness in the Christian life. That when you allow God to break you, you can tell the difference between somebody who is intact, like that grain of wheat that fell into the ground, who's got a hard veneer and hard exterior, But if you give your life to Jesus, I want to tell you what will happen. You will go into the ground. It will be dark. And it will be, you will be in the ground. And sometimes you'll wonder what is going on. But that outer part of you, that false self, that, that, that old part of you, the old, the old creation part of you, that flesh of yours, it will, it has to die so that new life will appear. Cross and resurrection. I want to tell you that there is an enormous amount of difference between a broken Christian and an unbroken Christian. And I'm not talking about broken and having your will broken, crushed, smashed. You know, sometimes that happens in homes. And it's tragic when you have a parent who doesn't understand about raising children and they crush a child's will. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact 
let me tell you that God is always doing two things at one time. He is, he is putting down that flesh of yours, your old man, that old person in you, that self-centered, vainglorious, want to have your way. You're touchy. You're irritable. You're, you're proud. He's always bringing that down and he's always building you up in him. He's building up the new creation and say, oh, my, my beauty, my beautiful, my beautiful, how lovely you are. Because those two works are going on all the time in a Christian's life. That brokenness, that there are Christians who just fill a room. My spiritual mother filled a room with the fragrance of Christ. Anybody say amen in here? She walked in a room. I remember we were in a pre-prayer meeting one day for a meeting and all the men with their jackets on and they're trying to get a hold of God and, you know, we're imploring and she just walked in the room. Um, you remember, Joe? The Restoration House? She just dropped her head and she said, Lord, we thank you that you're here. And with that, the presence of the Lord just filled that room. Part of my desire today is to make you and me so hungry that we won't let anything. I do not want to be a grain of wheat that meets meets Jesus when I see him in that condition. I want to be a Mary who cracked my everything I had in that jar and poured it on his feet and worshipped him and said, Jesus, uh, your fragrance has, your touch, your words, your life has changed my life and changed everything about me. And you are the most important thing in my life. I want to tell you, this is the bride he's coming for. The Bible says that the wife has, the, the wife of the lamb has made herself ready. Listen to me. Don't ever say you didn't hear it in this church. Right now, on this planet, it's time for the bride to make herself ready for the bridegroom. We see Esther going through all of her, all of her lotions and her perfumes before she was taken into the king. Listen to me, saints. This is a very crucial hour. You and I, God is calling us closer and he's calling us to understand now, let me now, let me now take you into some of the, quickly as I close, let me kind of bring this message up a little bit. I want you to get rid of the word death and resurrection and, in, and exchange the word death to let go. And exchange the word resurrection for freedom. Because that's really what it is. God works in your life and my life. You see, you see, when Jesus came, he brought the inauguration of the kingdom. He brought the kingdom. And from his death, from that point on, that life-giving spirit, the Bible said, now any whosoever would could now become, could now walk into the kingdom and enjoy the kingdom could be a part of the kingdom. You see, in this time, on the age we live, it's an individual hearts. That's why we sit here sometimes and we, we talk about Easter and we say, yes, the victory's won. Yeah, yes, this one is dying and this isn't happening. And, and, this in, and we say, well, the victory's won? 
Yes, the victory is won. Because we only see in part right now. The victory has begun at, at the resurrection. And it is just as, as we come into it, the church, we're, we're, we're tasting the powers of the age to come. We are starting to live in the kingdom now before the kingdom comes in its fullness. Do you understand? We are a prophetic people. People are supposed to look at us and look at our families and say, Oh, is that what the kingdom is going to look like? The church is supposed to have no Greek, no Jew, no black, no white, no male, no female. The church stands as a prophetic people. Forget Washington, D.C. Forget what they have to say. It's only the church that can stand up and say, Yes, 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 in Jesus, it's already taken care of. You don't have to try to make it in Jesus. It's already done. The resurrection brought the kingdom. But now, as you received him as your savior, now I want to tell you the battle goes on. Because there's kingdom clashing. And your flesh and that old creation is saying, me, me, my glory, my pride, my money, my husband, my kids, my, my pastimes, my, 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 my. And all God asks for you to do. And he'll take you one by one in a step in your life and say, let go. Let go. Because you don't know what I've got in store for you. First of all, you you do the let-going part. You're not responsible for the freedom part. But you're responsible for the let-going part. And he'll give you grace to let go. But I, it is sad for me to see a Christian who's walked 30 years with God and they're as hard on the outside and they've never let go and they're living the same life they are 30 years later than they were living 30 years ago. Brothers and sisters, it's sad. Now let me give you a few for instances in my own life. My very small understanding of this. Joe and I were young Christians. Christ had touched us during this revival, I told you. There was a day in my living room where I dropped to my knees and I saw him. I didn't see him with these eyes, but I saw him. And if you knew me before and you knew me after, you would say, she's a different person. I wasn't the same woman that got up off the floor. My life was changed. To no credit of mine, all I did was respond to perfect love. And a few years later, I started to have physical problems. Uh, it went on, they didn't know, it was this, I had a miscarriage, that, uh, things just... And now I also was a very, very fearful person, very fearful. My mother, uh, our mother, had some real um, psychosomatic problems in that area. And I, I must have breathed them in, trying to minister to her over the years. I had fears of all kinds. And so here I was, a young Christian in love with Jesus, but now things were getting really, really hard. And it was tough. I mean, I, Joe loved me through deep depression and deep fears. And finally, I had a hysterectomy at 29. They, you know, the beginning... They told me they weren't sure if it was cancer. Today, what I had, they would tell you out, out now. No, it isn't hardly ever. But I didn't hear that from the doctor. Maybe God didn't let me hear it then. It was, they didn't know if I had cancer at the time. I was, I was terribly afraid. Seriously, I'm opening my heart to you. I would crawl into his room. He was two years old. And I would just lay my head on that bed and I would cry. And say, God, please, I want to see him go up. I want to see him go up. 
there was a day, and this took about two or three years, and there was a day that I got on my knees and I said, whatever. And if you take me now, then have Jill marry the best Christian woman there is and let her be a better mother than I could ever be to my kids. And peace started to come into my heart. And this is what I want to tell you. God was saying, Linda, let go of those fears. Let go of that old way of thinking. You're mine now. There isn't a thing in your life that I'm not in control of. Let go. It took me two or three years to let go. But let me tell you something. You let go, and you don't know how the freedom is going to come. Suddenly, just like the little shoots are coming through the snow now and the dirt, something one day you realize, oh, that's different. Let me tell you what God did during that period of time. As I grew up, I totally, completely, and I just totally adored my father. I found him to be, I, I, I admired everything about him. He was strong. I saw him as strong and, and together. And I mean, he faced death and you, I didn't even see him. Uh, there was nothing about him that had any fear. I mean, I just loved him and adored him. So somewhere in me, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be like. And my mother, God helped me, but she was weaker. And I detested it. And I, I, I despised her for it. And... So somewhere along the line, I kidded myself that I was strong. I was strong. Until God let the grain of wheat fall into the ground and fall apart. And suddenly all the old false self and all the mask I had on that other people believed. Maybe they knew already that it wasn't me, really. But I found out it wasn't me. And I remember one day having a little Jesus bracelet in the hospital. And somebody had given it to me, and I remember one day being so wracked with fear that I said, Jesus, I'll take this bracelet off. I don't want anybody to know I know you. It would be terribly embarrassing for you that look at me. I'm such a mess, and I'm supposed to know. I thought I knew you. I, I loved you. Why am I like this? And the Lord said to me in that hospital room, Linda, you don't have to be strong anymore by yourself. I'm going to be your strength. Now, if you knew me before, You'd know I was different, but now what you would say is, I had a different marriage. My marriage was totally different. You know why? Because that veneer of mine, of being strong and hiding my vulnerability, just rotted into the grave. And now I couldn't, I had to say to him, I need you, could you come home early? I'm just a wreck. Could you just leave work early to be with me? I'm so... And I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I was this, become my mother. Somebody say they know what I'm talking about. I had no idea that all he was doing was getting me to let go so he could bring freedom to the real Linda. And those, those weak parts that I had shoved in the back that I, shut up, be quiet. You'll not show anybody that. You know what happens when you show people that? You get rejected and, you, and it's embarrassing and shameful. Just be quiet and hang out back there. Well, I couldn't keep those parts quiet anymore. And I had to just present him. And, and, and then, do you know what changes you? When you meet and you show it to real love. And I would tell people at the time, I don't know. 
I think it was Joe, but I know it was Jesus. It was Jesus, but it was Joe. Where to be his body that Joe and Jesus so ministered to me and loved me during this time. The resurrection I got just absolutely changed me and changed our marriage and our ministry began. And it wasn't until years later that God said, I couldn't let your marriage walk in, your marriage walk into ministry until I had strengthened your marriage and strengthened your relationship with one another. Death and resurrection, letting go and, and getting set free are part of the same package. You wonder why you're going through tough. I want to tell you, if you have ever given your life to Jesus, I don't care what you're going through, Every little thing in your life is so overseen by him. Nothing too hard for you. He is, but I want to tell you, if you had asked me what he was doing during that time, I had no idea. And neither do you know what he's doing in your life right now if you're in a tough time. And Jesus was on the cross on Friday. And all his disciples said, oh, it's over. It's dead. Oh, it's done. It's finished. Saturday. Oh, God's working in the unseen, isn't it? God's working when he's silent. And then suddenly on Sunday, you see what he's doing behind the scenes. It's kind of what we do at Sabbath. We stop everything and rest to say, God, I'm resting because you're working. Do you know every time I get to my feet and preach, I can't speak for everybody else. I go through death and resurrection every time I preach. And I hate it every time. You know why? I get into God's word. I hear something from God a week before I'm supposed to speak. It's exciting. I'm like, this is so great. I can't wait to get in there and preach this. By Friday, it is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It makes absolutely no sense. My knees are shaking. I have to go through, and then I have to get up and wait for resurrection. I have to wait for but I want to tell you he takes you layer and level by level because I'm nowhere near where I used to be when I now when I'm in the death phase of doing the message I can say Lord I know you're working I hate this did I tell you how much I hate this Lord I really hate this but I know that death and resurrection and letting go and freedom is part of his plan. And you can't get free just by studying. You can't get free just by listening to people's sermons. You can only, you can only be broken and have the exterior of your life broken as the master puts you and I into circumstances very often that will be tough circumstances that we won't like. I have to tell you that. And I'm afraid this is part of the gospel we're missing. And that's why we have a lot of disillusioned Christians. Because we're not telling them the side of the story. And so they're thinking that God's going to do this, this, this. And all I have to do is say this prayer and use this formula. And then everything should change. Has anybody been there in this room? And it's raising up a whole generation of people who think they've tried true Christianity. And they never have experienced it. I could tell you examples in my life of having to let go the church. We were in the church for 10 years and there was a... I need to stop. There was a terrible division. 
and Joe and I were in the center of it, and there were lies, and there were betrayals, and it was an awful time in our lives. And God just kept saying, I'm here, I'm in it. Do you know what? After two years, maybe, we came through that. We had, I'm a woman in leadership. Boy, did I get creamed, particularly other women. (laughs) That was fun. And God just kept saying, keep walking, I'm with you, we're doing this together. Do you know what happened after that season was over? Resurrection, freedom. Do you know, by the time that was over, I cared a lot less what people thought of me. Do you want to get free of what people think of you? We live so subject, you need to, you need a place to let go and die that that resurrection life will rise up and free you. I don't know what you need to be freed of today, my brothers and sisters, an addiction, a relationship problem, your anger, your... I, could be, I, I don't know, it could be a thousand things. But this morning, thank you for being patient as I talked a little longer than I probably should have. We're going to come to this table, and I want you to bring that thing. I want to tell you, don't be afraid of him. He is passionate about you. He is so passionate, he's driven to see you free. You know those thoughts in your head you can't get free of? You know those those chains on you that nobody knows about but you? He died for you to be free. The kingdom of God is here, and he wants us. He invites us at this table. This Lenten season, he says, follow me on... Because they call it the week of the passion of the Lord. You can, you can, guys can come on, start coming up. The passion of the Lord. I want to tell you that this Lent, we will miss the mark unless Jesus' passion, unless we become passionate about him as he is about us. You don't have to fear. What you need to be set free of, you just need to tell Jesus, I need you to set me free. I'm, I'm afraid to ask you. But you're the only one who could set me free. And I need you, Lord. I need you to be my deliverer. Jesus is so real. He loves you. He knows you this morning. Father, I just thank you for the the fragrance of Jesus in this room. Father, what the world needs and what America needs is the fragrance of Jesus. When the fragrance of Jesus is so thick in this place, people will come pouring in here. We won't be able to keep them out. Because you are so attractive, Lord, to the human soul. Because we were made for you. So, Father, we come to this, your table, right now. And we ask you to bless us with revelation. This blood, the blood you shed, was so that you could get us your bride. Your body that was broken was so that you could get my passion for you. Father, we bless this table today. May it be the living word, the living bread to us today. Lord, may it change us. Do it, Father, for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.